Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Ah! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Alike Okunpawale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner. Darren Pritchett. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's weekday sports beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, who will take the field in 67 days across the pond in Dublin against the United States Naval Academy, August the 26th. 2.30 Eastern Time kickoff, 7.30 Dublin Time. You can hear this game at every Fighting Irish football game once again this year on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Tonight's program also available on our free WSBT radio app. WSBTradio.com. A video feed is rolling right now on the Twitch app. My name is Darren Pritchett. Thanks for joining me for Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on this Tuesday, June the 20th of 2023. It is eight minutes after five o'clock, and I am ready to roll for the next hour and 40 minutes or so. We have South Bend Cubs baseball once again tonight. Opener of a six-game home series against those Fort Wayne Tin Caps. You can, of course, catch the game at Four Winds Field. You can catch the game on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Brendan and Max will have the play-by-play starting at 7.05 pregame at 6.45 here on WSBT Radio. But before we get to baseball, here's what we have coming up here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Our hat trick of opening topics, Sam Hartman against the ACC. White Sox roster activity, maybe it's coming soon. And also Notre Dame baseball adds on to their offense, or at least they hope they have. Also coming up on the program, bottom of the hour, I want to play back a soundbite. And Joel Klatt, lead analyst for Fox College Football, he sat down with Alabama head coach Nick Saban and asked him if college football needs parity and will the 12-team playoff coming in 2024 help create parity? You'll hear from the Alabama head coach, Nick Saban. We'll talk about his comments at the bottom of the hour. We have our Twitter question of the day. 
which is available for you to vote on right now at 960 Sportsbeat on my Twitter account. We'll reveal today's question and also have some results from yesterday's Twitter question later on this hour. Also coming up in the 6 o'clock hour, should have time for the My 5, which is the five matchups I'm looking forward to during the 23 Notre Dame football season. Not just opponents, but in particular matchups within the game or storylines within the 12 regular season games. I'll have my list coming up in a little bit. We've got plenty to talk about with Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. We'll ask him about the commitment from over the weekend. The Fighting Irish got 2025 tied in, Nate Roberts. Also a lot to talk about with a recap of official visitors from the weekend, a name that you probably should know about, a 2024 safety and Tabron Benny Powell. He's going to be making his college choice tomorrow. Notre Dame is a leading candidate. We'll get an update on C.J. Carr and also Justin Scott. All that in one recruiting segment with Mike Singer, probably right around, oh, 610, tonight here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. So let's get to it. Let's don't waste any more time. Let's get right to our hat trick of opening topics. Hat trick in hockey means three goals. Hat trick of opening topics means three topics to begin tonight's Budweiser's weekday sports beat. And we start with Notre Dame's new starting quarterback, Sam Hartman. He knows the ACC well. He has had some highly impressive offensive performances against members of the ACC while the quarterback at Wake Forest. Now, he's the quarterback for the Fighting Irish, and he will face some familiar teams on the 2023 schedule. And you look at some of the numbers he put up against the teams he will face this year. There are some eye-popping, impressive numbers, and there's one number that concerns you just a little bit. Sam Hartman will face teams that he has faced in the ACC like NC State, Duke, Louisville, Pittsburgh, and Clemson. So five teams he is very familiar with. Four of the five teams he has played each of the last two years. Pittsburgh, he did not play last year, but played them in 2021. So let's just take a look at how Hartman has fared against these defenses. Now, always keep in mind, personnel is going to be different from year to year. The defense he faced, for example, at NC State last year might not be as good this year, or Pittsburgh two years ago might be a heck of a lot better this year. We don't know. But you're going against systems. Sam Hartman's had a new system at Notre Dame as well. NC State, on paper, might have one of the better pass defenses that Notre Dame will face this year. NC State was number 12 last year in pass efficiency defense. Now they've lost some parts up front. They've lost a really good safety, but they have some corners returning in 2023. We'll get more into this in the My Five, but Hartman has actually had some trouble with NC State. Now, let's remember, NC State is the third game of the year. You go to Dublin, then you come home to take on Tennessee State, and then you've got your really 
first major test, and it's on the road against NC State with a brand-new quarterback, Brandon Armstrong from Virginia, who was off the chart good two years ago, miserable in that Cavalier offense last year. But Hartman against NC State in 2021, he was only 20 of 47 against the Wolfpack for 290 yards, three touchdowns, three interceptions. He faced them again last year. Hartman against NC State, 29 of 48 for 397, two touchdowns, and three more interceptions. Hartman has been picked off six times by North Carolina State's defense in his last two starts. That catches your attention, especially when you're still going to be new into this Notre Dame offense in a game situation. That's game number three. You're going on the road. And NC State is hoping they're going to have a much different-looking Brennan Armstrong at quarterback from the one we saw last year in Charlottesville. So that caught my attention right away. Against NC State, Hartman's been picked off six times in his last two appearances. He has also faced Duke the last two years, and Duke is in an interesting spot on the Irish schedule after Notre Dame has the massive home game against Ohio State. The Irish then have to regroup quickly, go down to Durham to take on a Duke team that was 9-4 and four last year. And they have an outstanding quarterback ready to face Notre Dame in Riley Leonard. But Sam Hartman against Duke the last two years, 2021, pretty awesome day for Hartman, 24 of 37 for 402 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Last year against the Dukies, a much better football team, but Hartman still had a good day against the Blue Devils. He was 26 of 42 for 347, three touchdown strikes, and one interception. He also had nine carries for 25 yards against Duke. Now you talk about another road game. Jeff Brom leaves Purdue for Louisville. He's added a lot of parts during the offseason. Hartman has faced Louisville the last two years. Obviously different schemes, so maybe throw this one out. But against Louisville, 2021, Hartman 23 completions and 40 throws for 324, two touchdowns and a pick. And then last year against Louisville, an uneven day for Hartman. 20 of 35 for 271 yards, a touchdown, and he was picked off three times. Now we move along to Pittsburgh. He did not face Pittsburgh last year in 2021. Again, an uneven day for Hartman. 21 of 46 for 213 yards, two touchdowns, and he was intercepted four times. Finally, another repeat opponent for Hartman at Notre Dame. He will take on the Clemson Tigers once again. In 2021, Hartman had a good day against Clemson. He completed 27 of 43 throws for 312 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. And then last year, at home against Clemson, he nearly led Wake Forest to an upset win of the Tigers. And honestly, once Clemson went cover two after Hartman destroyed them, 
the Wake Forest coaching staff decided not to throw the football with Hartman. They tried to run it against Clemson, and that really hurt their chances. They lost the game. But when Hartman was allowed to throw the football against Clemson last year, how about 20 of 29 for 337 yards, six touchdown passes, and no interceptions? You know, the one thing that does stand out, you look at Hartman against those ACC teams. He had a lot of touchdown passes, good success. There were some games he was below 50% completion percentage. But we're talking about nine games played total the last two years against NC State, Duke, Louisville, Pittsburgh, Clemson, five teams on the Irish schedule this year. He was intercepted 16 times in those nine games, including four against Pittsburgh, three against Louisville, and on two different occasions, NC State picked him off three times. So we know Sam Hartman can do some pinball-like work, put up some big numbers. But the interceptions have been the one thing that has cost him at time, and you don't want to see that type of turning over the football this year. 16 picks in nine games against those five opponents that he will face this year over the last two seasons. We move along to hat trick. Topic number two, is there White Sox roster movement on the way? According to a report in Sunday's USA Today from Bob Nightingale, several White Sox veteran players have privately expressed that they would welcome a trade. The trade deadline, of course, coming up at the end of July. I don't believe they moved it to August. Now, none of these players, according to Nightingale, have formally asked the White Sox front office to trade them. So who might it be? Well, let's add on to this story first. Ken Rosenthal, longtime baseball insider, writes for The Athletic. He stated after Nightingale's story that the White Sox are currently only willing to part with players who will be rentals for other teams, which means their contracts are expiring at the end of the year. If you're under contract, in 2024, the White Sox want to keep you, which I'm not sure that's the greatest strategy at this point, but let's play along with the narrative. So based on Rosenthal's reporting that only rentals would be traded, that would mean any of these following players could be traded at the deadline by the White Sox. You've got a couple of starting pitchers, Lucas Giolito and Mike Clevenger. Catcher Yasmani Grandal, his four-year contract with the good guys runs out at the conclusion of this season. This next one, you're not going to keep anyway. Infielder Elvis Andrus and a couple of other right-handed pitchers, Ronaldo Lopez and Keenan Middleton. Now, there are three other players that the White Sox hold team options on which mean they can activate these contracts for 2024 or they can dismiss the options and these players become free agents. So these three players could be candidates to be traded by the White Sox because they could be free agents at the end of the year if the White Sox decline the option. And those three players are starting pitcher Lance Lynn, relief pitcher Joe Kelly, 
and starting shortstop Tim Anderson, who, from a financial standpoint, the White Sox are in a really good position. Anderson has not had a great year this year, but from a money standpoint for a starting shortstop in the majors, the White Sox have Anderson very cheap next year at $14 million. So who could the White Sox eventually get a call from the agent of these players to move them at the deadline? To me, Tim Anderson, without knowing that team option, seemed like a candidate. It just feels like it's time for these two sides to go a different way. Anderson not producing at the level we're accustomed to. His fielding has been, I think, very inconsistent this year. He's not driving the ball, not many extra base hits. The last time I checked, I think this was late last week, he had 50 hits, only nine extra base hits, and all nine of those extra base hits are doubles. Yohan Moncada, is it time for him to see some new scenery? It would sure seem so. This has been a three-year struggle for Moncada. Once the centerpiece of the Chris Sale deal with the Boston Red Sox. It looked like it was going to work out extremely well for the White Sox, but Mankata just has not been able to produce at the plate. So maybe if he even doesn't ask for a trade, that's a guy I would have to think the White Sox would have to entertain moving. Now, you're not probably going to get a lot back in return, but that's a guy that just seems like he needs to hear new voices and be around a different environment. I wonder about Liam Hendricks. He is coming off quite a battle, defeating cancer, comes back. He's on the active roster, gets injured. Does he want to play for a contending team? Relievers at the deadline, you can usually get a little something for those. You oftentimes now see teams that are major contenders to win the World Series add closers as their seventh or eighth inning set up men sometimes it doesn't work Craig Kimbrell for whatever reason struggles to pitch in anything other than the ninth inning then there's Rafael Iglesias who was the Angels closer the Braves picked him up used him as their eighth inning guy now he is the closer in 2023 for the Atlanta Braves so if Hendricks wants to go and maybe he doesn't with all of the things he's gone through this year But Hendricks, to me, would be a candidate that might want to go to a a winning situation. Then I get to Aloy Jimenez. The injuries have just continued to slow down his progress. The former South Bend Cub in 2016 has one year left on his deal. Plus, there are two team options. So he is a long way from being out of the grasp of the White Sox. I don't think Aloy'd be the type of guy that would ask for a trade. I don't think he's on that list, but I wonder if the White Sox at least entertain the possibility of moving on from Jimenez, who might be just a designated hitter for teams that are truly contenders. I just don't think his defense is going to get to the point where you feel comfortable when a ball goes out to his direction in left field. So the White Sox have a lot of decisions to make, and it sounds like, at least according to these reports, there are a couple of veterans that are ready to lead the south side of Chicago. 
And our third and final hat trick of opening topics for tonight, Notre Dame baseball has added a couple of hitters that they hope can improve one of the most mediocre offenses in the ACC. The Fighting Irish hit a miserable and ACC worst 250 this spring. Now, batting average is not everything. In today's game that has progressed analytically, it's about on-base percentage. So you do take average with a little bit of a grain of salt. But at the same time, you want to get base hits. You want to drive the baseball. You want to find the gaps. It's very important to walk, but eventually you need someone to drive the baseball. The average hit 250 this year. And it doesn't get any better when you consider their top four batting averages from last year are no longer with the team. Zach Prasner hit 306 last year, very impressive 403 on base percentage, seven homers, 32 driven in. The Irish got Vinny Martinez from Stanford. He had a bounce back year with the Irish at 301, 399 the on base, provided some power with 10 homers and 38 knocked in. Then you got Carter Putts for the Irish, their third leading average hitter. He hit 290, good on base at 373, eight homers, 41 knocked in. And Brooks Kentsey only hit 255 this year, but the on base at 373, three homers, 27 knocked in. So four of your best hitters are gone from a team that was the worst in the ACC in batting average. So you're looking to add some good personnel to boost this lineup. Well, the Irish have added two players. One, I think there's a good chance can help the team. The second one might be more of a question mark. Let's start with more of the certainty. They picked up David Glancy. He's an outfielder who spent the last four years with St. John's. His Red Storm career numbers, 283 average, 390 on base, 533 slugging, so his OPS was around 923. That's very, very good. This spring with St. John's, he hit 284, hit a career-high 13 home runs, and knocked in 37. Now, the one that you may have to prove it to us, and maybe this guy ends up more like Vinny Martinez, who didn't have a great offensive year as last year at Stanford, came to Notre Dame, and as I mentioned, had some really good numbers. But the Irish also had it, added a left-handed bat from UCLA in Joshua Hahn. Four years with the Bruins and very limited opportunities. Hit 256, 359, the on-base, the slugging low at 378. Now, this spring, he got 86 at-bats for UCLA and had his best numbers. 326, the average, 379, the on-base, a homer, and 12 knocked in. Now, he has thrown 10 innings in his collegiate career, but the numbers don't look overly impressive. 10 innings, 17 hits, 10 earned runs, two walks, and only one strikeout. So David Glancy looks like immediately a guy you can put in the heart of your order to add to this Irish lineup. Joshua Hahn, guy that can play first base. Let's see if he can... Be given the opportunity at a full-time gig and prosper because at UCLA, not consistent at bats over four years. With a new opportunity in South Bend, maybe Han ends up more like Vinny Martinez, who 
showed what he can do after leaving Stanford and joining the Fighting Irish. But a lot more needs to be added to this offense to get back to where you're comfortably into the field of 64 and battling for the College World Series. 5.30 is our time. That's our hat trick of opening topics. Sam Hartman, some of his numbers against ACC opponents he'll face this year. White Sox roster movement on the way. And the Irish baseball team adds a couple of offensive weapons. Coming up next, we'll talk some college football. And we'll examine the comments of Alabama head coach Nick Saban. He sat down with Joel Klatt from Fox Sports. And they discussed many things, including do we need parity in college football? Could a 12-team playoff help with parity? That discussion coming up in a couple of moments. Don't forget, a lot of very important Notre Dame football recruiting topics to get to with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Mike Singer in about 40 minutes here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Dame football coverage continues now. And a diving catch by Notre Dame. Benjamin Morrison. Three interceptions on the day. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Intercepted on the 45-yard line. Sharik Bracey. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. He will score. 10-5 touchdown. Benjamin Morrison. 95 yards out. It is 536 on your home of the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame Sports Radio 960 WSBT. My name is Darren Pritchett. Great to have you on board. Sports Beat brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Baseball fans, this Bud's for you. By Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnaby's the family inn. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.org. And by Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit bethelluniversity.edu slash solid ground for details. Well, the college football season creeping closer. I mentioned earlier the first Notre Dame football game in 67 days. And we're, what, about 74 days away from the first full batch of the college football season. That would be week one of the college football season. The Irish playing in week zero. And it's the start of the pursuit for four great, great positions to be in in late November and early December in position to go to the college football playoffs. This will be the final year in which teams battle for the four spots. Next year, it goes to a 12-team playoff. Conference champions do get a nice reward. They get the top four spots in the seeding, and they don't have to play in the first round. For teams like Notre Dame that cannot be a conference champion, the best they can be is a five seed. But we have seen since the playoff era got underway, it is sort of an exclusive club. Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, teams that you almost expect to be in the playoff, and if they're not in the playoff, they were right on the doorstep of getting in. 
You talk about teams winning championships. Those four have all won championships during the playoff era. But that's with four teams. Going to 12 teams, there will be more room for more teams to get into the field. You're going to have those six wild card opportunities, and Notre Dame will be battling for one of those six spots. But will the 12-team playoff lead to more parity in college football? I have my doubts, but this is something that was talked about. Joel Klatt, leading college football game analyst for Fox Sports. He has a series of sit-downs with very important people in college football, and he's also had the opportunity to talk to Alabama head coach Nick Saban, who speaks his mind about all issues involving college football. Now, you can get this entire interview at foxsports.com. They are very well done. I think Klatt does a very, very nice job interviewing these individuals, including Alabama's head coach, Nick Saban. So Klatt asked Saban, does college football need parity? And also, does Saban believe that the 12-team playoff could create that parity? Here is Alabama head coach Nick Saban. Well, I think all leagues want to create parity. If you look at the NFL, mm-hmm. you know, they, they would love for everybody to be 8-8 eight and eight going into the 17th game of the season because every fan base in every city would be excited about what's the outcome of the next game. So parity creates a lot of excitement. I think it's harder to do in college football because we have so many different teams and the fundamentals are different at the University of Alabama and as, as opposed to another school. And I don't want to mention another school, but a 1AA school, a Division II school, even a lower half, you know, Division I school. The money's different. The dynamics are different. The investment that's made in the athletes and the program are different. And the value created for the athletes is different. So um, it's not all the same. So if we were going to create parity, we would have to take, okay, this is a group of 60 teams or however many, I don't know what the number is, and these are the four or five leagues that we're going to have, and we may consolidate them, and we're going to try to create parity in a more refined group. Sure. I don't think that's the only way. That's probably the only way that you could accomplish that. But in the NFL, you know, if you lose, you draft early. If you win, you draft late. Um you play a harder schedule if you win. You play an easier schedule if you lose. So, you know, all those things are rules are for parity yeah. so that there's interest. Um, so our fan base, they want to dominate. So my job is to try to create a program here where we have the best chance to succeed and have success relative to the competition. But I think even in the SEC, when you add Texas and Oklahoma, there's going to be more parity because there's probably going to be six, seven teams ranked in the top 20 sure. that are going to be playing each other. So, um, But the problem with the way the whole system is, there's no account, accounting for that. Right. So all we do is take the teams that win the most games at the end of the year and put them at the, in the playoffs. But do you really get the best teams? You know, when, when, they, when they told me that we would be favored against three out of the four teams that got in the playoff, I'm like, 
well, why aren't we in the playoffs? Sure. Does that mean they have a better team? Or does it mean that those people don't know what they're talking about? I, I really don't know that. But, um, and I'm not being critical of anybody, but if, if you're going to have parity, you have to have a better way of figuring out who has the best teams. Not just because you lose two games on the last play of the game yeah. that knocks you out when you may be better than somebody else who didn't have the same circumstances that they had to play in. There you go. Nick Saban, Alabama head coach. On with Joel Klatt of Fox Sports. You can hear the entire interview. They go over a lot of different subjects at foxsports.com. I don't believe parity will be created by the college football playoff going to 12 teams. It's just not going to be a result of more teams being in the running for the college football playoff and more teams getting in. There just seems to be that dominant group of teams, and even we have seen it on a smaller scale in the semifinals outside of that unbelievable Ohio State-Georgia semifinal this year. We have seen so many games that were uneven. Notre Dame lost by double digits in their two trips to the national semifinals you just have those premier teams and even in a four-team playoff they separate themselves from the competition we saw what happened last year in the title game after tcu knocked off michigan in a 2-3 matchup which should mean an even game i mean tcu dominated that game they absolutely got blown out by george in the title game 65-7 so how is the playoff going to create more parity I don't see it. Nick makes a great point. In the National Football League, they create chaos because of some of the things set up to create parity. They want every NFL fan to feel like in a three-year window, you can go from the bottom of the barrel to the top of the heap. You could be a last-place team, but in a short amount of time, you can win the division and get to the playoffs. And Nick's right. If you're a bad football team, you pick first in the draft. If you're a really good team, you pick at the back end of that round. The schedule is a major, major factor in who makes the playoffs every year. Depending on which division you play, it can be a major advantage. If you play the NFC South this year as one of your cross opponents, whether you're in the NFC or the AFC, you're going to have a major advantage compared to, for example, taking on the AFC East when you have to deal with Buffalo. You have to now have to go up against Aaron Rodgers and the New York Jets. You still have the Patriots to deal with. The Dolphins are going to be very good. That can separate a playoff team and a non-playoff team. So parity is created by the rules of the National Football League. You're not going to be able to create rules in college football to balance everything, it's impossible. No, no matter how many teams we're talking about, you put into a pool of teams, 60, as Nick said, 80, whatever the case may be, Notre Dame is going to have a different investment into their programs compared to other people across the country. It's just not realistic. It's just going to come down to people out-recruiting, 
outsmarting in the recruiting process and developing young kids at a higher rate to knock off the Georgias and the Alabamas, the Ohio States, the teams you expect to be in the playoff each and every year. And personally, I know in the NFL, parity provides a lot of excitement. But in college football, I think we almost are used to the fact we have these dominant teams and Notre Dame is chasing to get from the second tier up to that top tier with those teams. And the chase is on to do that. I would prefer to have the 12 best teams in the country in the college football playoff, not having the six conference champions or seven conference champions and the six wildcard teams. You're not getting the best teams into the field for the national championship tournament. Now, I do disagree with Nick from one standpoint. When he discussed losing both of his games last year on the last play of the game, that's tough. You lose to LSU on the road and Tennessee on the road on the last play of the game. You lose those two games, and they were the odd team out of the college football playoff. And Nick mentioned whoever wins the most games get into the playoffs. We all know schedules are not equal. Winning the Pac-12 and winning the SEC, advantage SEC. That means more because of the amount of competition you play week in and week out. The Big Ten title is normally a better thing to do than in the Pac-12 or even in the ACC. It's just week in and week out, better competition. So just because you win the Pac-12 doesn't mean the Pac-12 champion is better than the fourth-place team in the SEC, the third-place team in the Big Ten, a Notre Dame football team that's 10-2, and let's say. We're just dealing with so many different variables. It is just, I think, unfair to put labels that you have to have this many conference champions. And now, I know... The major reason behind this is that everybody gets a piece of the pie. And that's going to win out. I get it. You're not going to win that battle. Money's going to win out. But I want the 12 best teams in the country because you might have, like, Tulane as one of those conference champions to get the 11 seed or the 12 seed, and they're going to go up against Georgia or Ohio State or Alabama. It's probably not going to be a very enjoyable game. You want the best games possible. Now, I just said a few moments ago, even two versus three has been blown out in some of these college playoff national championship games. So there is not a perfect system, but I would love to see the 12 best teams. That's not going to be reality. And parity is not going to come from the 12-team playoff. And for Nick and Alabama, were they one of the best five or six teams in the country last year? Absolutely. But I'll also say this, as good – as Alabama's offense was throughout the year, and it was Bryce Young. That offensive line was not Alabama standard. They did not have the wide receiver weapons that they normally have. Javier Gibbs was great at running back, but that defense for Alabama was not college football playoff worthy. That was one of the weaker Alabama defenses you will see, and they gave up a lot of yards and a lot of points, and if it was not for Bryce Young, they would not have even been a contender for the playoff. If you would have had, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but I think we can all agree we're talking about different talents, but Tyler Buckner might be the starting quarterback for Alabama 
If he was Alabama's quarterback last year, they're not even in consideration for the playoff last season. Not even close. Bryce Young put that team on his back and made them look so much better than I think they actually were. So Nick can say they were favored, according to some people, in against three of the four teams in the playoff. And that would be Ohio State, TCU, and Michigan. You know they would have been the underdog against Georgia. That doesn't mean that you should be in the playoff. That defense just was not playoff caliber. And I think that Alabama team in an 18 playoff would have deserved to got in. And could they have won the championship? Absolutely. But we can't just put them into the playoff because we believe they would beat these teams hypothetically. What's the point of playing the games if we're just going to go by who you're favored by? You can't do that it's based on resumes they lost two games they were heartbreakers on the final play of the game but if your defense is a little better then all of a sudden you probably have earned your way into the college football playoffs so yeah we are going to see probably with Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC next year six or seven SEC teams will be ranked in the top 25 on a given week they might have Three or four teams make the college football playoff. That is very, very possible. Their strength of schedule is going to be unmatched across college football. Some of the matchups we saw for 2024, there are some teams that have their hands full with some of the SEC matchups that they'll be dealing with with Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC in 2024 so parody's not coming to college football there's just no way with the investments across the board they're not the same it's just not going to happen i don't think we necessarily need parody it'd be nice to have some new teams pop up but the same handful of teams are there every year they may get knocked down for a year but they bounce right back and let's see if clemson can do that they've had a down go let's see if they can bounce back and get back into contention they're going to base their season on Cade Klubnick this year, the sophomore quarterback who's going to be their full-time guy after starting late in the year. He'll face the Irish, of course, in Death Valley. And if that young guy plays well, I'm sure Clemson will be right back in the mix for the college football playoff after a rare year off from really even being in contention for a spot. 5.53 is our time. Check out that entire interview and a series of interviews at foxsports.com. We'll come back with the Twitter question of the day next on WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. 557, Darren Pritchett with you. Our Twitter question of the day. From Monday, of these choices, what is the biggest question mark from a 2023 Notre Dame football opponent so we're looking for something from an opposing team that has caught your eye and you're wondering how this is going to turn out for that team well the voting is complete your four choices were how good is Clemson quarterback Cade Klubnick is USC's defense playoff caliber who is Ohio State's quarterback and will Brennan Armstrong refine his elite form at NC State? Fourth place in the voting, 3.6%, voted for Brennan Armstrong if he's going to refine his elite form at NC State. 
As I documented earlier in the program, two years ago, All-American candidate Virginia, they changed coaches and schemes, and it was a big fall last year. But Armstrong now at NC State trying to refine his form. Third place in the voting. Only 5.5% are curious how good Clemson quarterback Cade Klubnick will be. 100 pass attempts as a freshman, 61% completion percentage, was sacked four times in his bowl game against Tennessee. Maybe people didn't vote for this, assuming that Klubnick's going to be pretty good. That's why they went in another direction in the vote. Of these choices, biggest question mark for you in regard to a Notre Dame opponent this fall. Second place, 29.1% are wondering, is USC's defense playoff caliber? We have not talked about elite defense under Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma in one year at USC. He has won a lot of football games outscoring opponents. Can USC play better defense? It did not really play that well in the two losses against Utah, which cost them a spot in the college football playoff. But easily winning the vote, your biggest question mark in regard to a Notre Dame opponent this fall, who will be Ohio State's quarterback? That got 61.8% of the vote. Kyle McCord and Devin Brown are the options. McCord is third year with Ohio State. Started one game last year against Akron as C.J. Stroud was dealing with a shoulder injury. This is a guy with only 58 pass attempts in his career, but he's been in the system for three years. Then you've got Devin Brown, highly thought of coming out of high school. He is in his second year with the program. He might add a tad bit more running ability at the quarterback position. Both can run. Brown might be a little better in that area. But that competition is still not complete in Columbus. And I wonder about their offensive line, how good that area of the Buckeye football team is going to be. But will it be Kyle McCord or Devin Brown at quarterback? That is the biggest question mark for you as an Irish fan in regard to a 2023 Notre Dame opponent. We thank you for voting. Today's question from the National Football League. Which NFC North quarterback will throw the most touchdown passes this year? Your four choices, Kirk Cousins of the Vikings, Jared Goff of the Lions, Justin Fields, Chicago Bears, or the Packers, Jordan Love. Place your vote right now on my Twitter account at 960-SPORTSBEAT. The results tomorrow. New question coming up on tomorrow's Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. It is 6.01 at WSBT South Bend, a sports update moments away. Mike Singer, a lot of Notre Dame football recruiting headlines to get to in a couple of moments here on WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. WSBTRadio.com, the WSBT Radio app, and on Twitch as Darren Pritchett talks Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold Illustrated insider 
Mike Singer. Not only is my conversation with Mike on WSBT Radio, you can also find our conversation in video form on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. All right, Mike, let's get started with one piece of commitment news that occurred a couple of days ago, and that is the Fighting Hours picked up a 2025 tight end in Nate Roberts, who seems to be enamored in the history of great tight ends at the University of Notre Dame. Yeah, that's something he had, he had talked about when it came to, you know, picking Notre Dame was that tight end tradition that he's, uh, you know, any tight end who picks Notre Dame is going to talk about that. So number 136 overall player in the country, number seven tight end in that 2025 class. So he hasn't even started his junior year of high school yet, but he's off the board. And uh, Darren, you know, his ranking, you know, he's as high as the number three tight end in the country for some of these sites. I mean, people I talk to think he's the best tight end in the country for his class. I mean, Notre Dame beating out Oklahoma. Norman's, you know, 20 miles up the road or, or, or 20 minutes up the road from him, something like that. Big recruiting win for the Irish going into Oklahoma's backyard and landing him. Georgia, Penn State, Tennessee, Michigan, Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Wisconsin, Miami, Purdue. Big-time offer list for this young man. Again, just going into his junior year of high school, really came down to Notre Dame, Ohio State, and Clemson, uh, and uh, went ahead and committed to Notre Dame just a few days after visiting campus. I believe would have that have been last Tuesday, so a week ago today. Um, so definitely a big win for Notre Dame, keeping tight end new tradition going strong. And you know, Notre Dame, it's, it's interesting, Darren, you look at some of the commitments they've gotten recently, Jack Larson, Cooper Flanagan, Holden Stay, some of these tight ends they've landed, not even super highly ranked. It's interesting, but with Roberts, this is someone who I feel like is a top 100 player, and I think all the websites will come around to that. And, Mike, you mentioned Larson, who's in the 24 class. There's still a chance they might add another tight end in the 24 class? Yeah, so Larson's locked in, has a story up at hen.bloomgold.com, and I even asked him, hey, Nate Roberts commits while you're on campus. You know Carter Nelson. They're still recruiting for your class. We'll I'll talk about in a second. Like, you good with that? Like, he's like, yeah, I welcome the competition. <laughs> so I told Jack after the interview, I was like, Jack, that was a perfect answer, man. Like, I've, you know, obviously, I've interviewed thousands of recruits. I was like, that, that was exactly what you should say. Um, but And I, I think he meant it as well. But, yeah, Carter Nelson from Nebraska, um, Ainsworth, Nebraska. I'm sure many viewers here have been to that great town in Nebraska. Um, very small town. It's a joke. Uh, but yeah, Notre Dame is, is in the mix there. I know it's uh, you know Notre Dame, Penn State, Georgia, um, and, and there's another school in there as well, I believe. So in uh, Nebraska, of course, the home state school. So Notre Dame still looking at a 2024 tight end with Nelson. But um, you know, if he doesn't want to commit to the Irish, you know, we'll see if Notre Dame still looks to take another. Mike, let's turn our attention to official visitors this week and offer us a recap of some of the things that went on. Yep, nine official visitors in total for Notre Dame, Darren. Quickly, we'll just go through the committed guys, players who were already pledged to the Irish going into the weekend. Uh, a couple players from Charlotte, tight end Jack Larson, and edge prospect Bryce Young, Young from Charlotte Christian, Larson from Charlotte Catholic, um, Micah Gilbert, a wide receiver, also from um, Charlotte Christian, a four-star receiver. Another receiver, Isaiah Canyon, Warner Robins, Georgia. 
Uh, big time note there, having Canyon on campus for his official, some of those SEC powers have started, um, you know, kind of sniffing around more ever since Canyon's kind of blown up and committed to Notre Dame. Canyon's visit went really well from what I'm told, so that, that that's good news for Notre Dame. And E.S. Williams, uh, the four-star running back from Hannibal, Missouri, um, back in South Bend. I believe that was his 10th visit in total. And then C.J. Carr, I think that's a parking spot at Notre Dame by this point. Competed at the Elite 11 Finals midweek. Um, I, I think finished up Friday afternoon, gets on a plane, headed out South Bend for his official visit. Um, so Carr's been to campus three straight weekends. You know, the first two, of course, being for unofficial, and then this, this past weekend for his official visit. So CJ Carr having his recruiting hat on. So that's the six commits. Then quickly, I'll go through the uncommitted players. Now, Darren, Going into Keyshawn Flowers' visit, the, the three-star linebacker from uh, Maryland, I did have high hopes. I, I didn't think that this was a recruit that Notre Dame would probably end up with. Now, with that being said, there are many players over the years that have you know been covering Notre Dame where they'll you, they visit and they just fall in love. Like Notre Dame is just this special place where if it connects with the young man, there's no telling what you know can happen. There can be a commitment you know, take place. But I still just, like, just in talking to sources leading up to the visit, like, I just, there wasn't a ton of buzz. And coming out of Keyshawn Flowers' visit, I'm not hearing, like, that I think he's going to end up in the class, you know, no predictions for him to go to Notre Dame by me or other reporters. So just, you know, my guess would be at this point that Flowers ends up at Miami. Um, You know, Notre Dame has two linebacker commitments. We'll talk about another big target here in a second. And then they you know, Bradley Shaw from Alabama looks like Notre Dame's in really good position for him. Um, you know, at least a top competitor for, for that young man. So, yeah, Flowers, you know, we'll, we'll see where this goes from here, Darren. Great visit from what I'm told, really connected well, um, and he loved everything. But just feel like that, uh, you know, he'll probably end up elsewhere. Malcolm Ziegler, also his first time on campus, Notre Dame offered him in May, I believe. Visit went fantastic from what I'm told. Interesting rankings, Darren. Three-star by 24-7 ESPN and Rivals. You see on three ranks him as a top 100 player nationally. Number five, safety. You compare that to Rivals. That has him as a number 48 player at the position. Um, goes to show you how much these rankings can differ. Uh, offers. Look, you'll have Nick Saban offer a kid, but then, you know, uh, Marcus Freeman won't or vice versa. Like, th- these things happen. Like, these Coaches have different opinions. Some coaches will swear by young men's talents. The other coach just doesn't see it. It's the same with these rankings as well. Um, on three, absolutely love Ziegler again as a top 100 player. Visiting North Carolina this weekend, so as good as this official visit went, I like Notre Dame here. It might be like a 51-49 you know, kind of deal between Notre Dame and whether it goes to Notre Dame or you know one of these Carolina schools if you also like South Carolina. Uh, but safety boards in a really interesting spot, Darren. We'll kind of talk about that um, in a few moments. Um, but yeah, this this visit did go out, and, and Ziegler goes to North Carolina this week this weekend. Kingston Villiam Lassa from Powerhouse St. John Bosco in Southern California, top hundred player for the 2024 on three industry ranking, had, had a, a fantastic visit as well. You know, I got to interview him on Monday afternoon, and he told me that his Notre Dame official visit, you can find the story at bloomgold.com. Uh, he said his official answered a lot of his questions. And I asked, hey, what was the biggest question that you got answered? And he said, 
okay, I want to learn more about my fit in the defense. And that's not to say that Notre Dame hadn't had discussions with him prior about his fit in the defense. Of course, that's something he's talked about with the staff, but it's a lot different a phone call versus an in-person meeting where you're watching film together, you're sitting next to each other inside the Goog. So that was a big meeting. Billy Amuasa thinks the world about Golden, his NFL pedigree, the relationship strong. Um, Darren, I'd, I'd argue that Billy Amuasa is a top three or four target on the board for this entire class. I mean, you go back to the beginning. Notre Dame recruiting 2024. This is a player that the staff has badly wanted up there with Justin Scott and Elijah Rushing, CJ Carr, Cam Williams. Like, this is a guy who Notre Dame has badly wanted all along. Top three Notre Dame, USC, Ohio State. Visited USC the weekend before Notre Dame heads to Ohio State this weekend. And then he's looking to announce a commitment sometime around July, maybe August, but definitely before his senior season. Notre Dame sources really like the Irish here, but he's going to Ohio State this weekend. You talk to USC people, USC people think he's going to the, he's going to side with the Trojans. Ohio State people think he's going to end up a Buckeye. Notre Dame people think he's going to end up in South Bend. So I, I guess we'll just have to see. But, again, Notre Dame sources feeling really good here. So that's the nine official visitors, Darren. Give me Notre Dame to land Villian Luasa. I think Flowers ends up at Miami. And then Ziegler, um, it, it, it's, it's a 50-50 call at this point. It's, it's too close to call for me. Mike, you take a look at Marcus Freeman's 24 class. The number of spots available are limited, but still there is opportunities to add some really, really high-end players. The safety depth chart. It looks like there could be still room to add another player in the 24 class. So Tabron Benny Powell, he is a safety in the 24 class. What do you know about him? Yeah, this is an interesting one. You talked about kind of some of those like highly coveted ranked guys. It's not Tabron Benny Powell. I mean, he's ranked in the thousands. Darren, hmm. uh, a three-star uh, across the board. So this is the quick rundown of the safety position. Kennedy Urlacher's committed, Brian Urlacher's son. Tay Johnson is announcing a commitment this Saturday. I would guess it's Notre Dame or Purdue. I like Notre Dame, so there's two. And then there's Ziegler, who we just talked about. There were so many safeties on the board. We went. I had fans ask me, Mike, what are we going to do when all 18 of our safety commitments <laughs> want to commit at the same time? I'm like, hope you get to that situation is basically my answer. Um, and, and, you know, I'm embellishing a little bit there. But the board has basically shrunk down to, again, outside of Tate Johnson and Kennedy Urlacher, Tabron Benny Powell, who the staff just offered Thursday after seeing him run really well in the camp and they liked how he moved. Um, you know, Malcolm Ziegler, who we just talked about, and then Davis Andrews, the, uh, the safety out of Utah, who's um, taking an, a Mormon mission trip after high school. So if he commits, you know, he wouldn't count towards um, until the 2026 class after he would take a two-year mission trip. So I like Notre Dame to land Benny Powell. He has a commitment set for Wednesday. I mean, you got to assume it's going to be Notre Dame. So the question then becomes, you know, can Notre Dame take Malcolm Ziegler? Do they want to? Would they even get in a position where they can take him? So that's kind of the, the rundown of the safety board. And, again, as far as Tabor and Benny Powell goes, um, look, he's a Cincinnati kid. And, you know, Notre Dame, between Marcus Stream and Chad Bode and Mike Mickens, I'm sure there's others, have pretty strong ties in Cincinnati and the, and the head coach of Lakota West. Um, you know, absolutely swears by this young man, uh, Benny Powell. Here's the, kind of the interesting thing of, uh, I think, a big part of why he's flown under the radar 
um, he had his high school had Ben Minnick, a Notre Dame safety signee on it last year. And Willie Cardford, a four-star, you know, All-American Ohio State safety. So you have two of these, again, Notre Dame and Ohio State safeties. Where's Benny Powell going to play? So they kind of had him as like a rover, like that role that we're used to in Notre Dame's defense, played up on the line of scrimmage at times. And he had a pretty good junior season playing out of position. Again, he ran really well. Notre Dame was told 4-5-9, 40-yard dash, which is really good for – you know, going in your senior year of high school, um, and, and it's a strong time for a safety at his size. So um, Notre Dame saw what they liked at, at camp, ran well, covered well. Um, you know, again, the, the high school coach there who Notre Dame's worked, or, you know, the Notre Dame staff from Cincinnati's worked with for a long time, swears by him. Uh, other factors as well, he's a really bright kid, visit went really well. So, um, and you look at the uncertainty of the safety board, I think this one made sense for for Notre Dame's not going to get the fan base fired up. Um, you know, probably a three-star projection guy at this point. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll trust, uh, you know, it, it's up to you if you want to trust the evaluation or not, but Notre Dame's rolling with their own and uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes there. I'm Darren Pritchett. He's Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider, blue and gold illustrated blue and gold.com. What's new with 24 quarterback commitment, CJ Carr. Yeah, so CJ Carr at the Elite 11 Finals in Los Angeles, um, Darren, and uh, was named to the Elite 11 Finals. So basically, you know, the Elite 11 invites 20 of the top quarterbacks in the country, and I believe it was, it's not like the top 20. You know, you have some three-star guys kind of sprinkled in there. There's a kid from Indianapolis who's committed to Colorado, was even there, a three-star kid. But I think it was something like 12 of the top 20 quarterbacks per the on-three industry ranking were there so some big time talent so Carr gets named to the elite 11 and for folks watching on youtube i'll pull it up it was listed alphabetically though so we we know that julian saiyan alabama's quarterback commit um was the mvp per the elite 11 staff but i think all the different websites have saiyan as the mvp as well including on three i believe but the elite 11 didn't rank you know two through 11. well on three did they listed Carr as their number nine quarterback at defense, which, you know, then there's outrage about, you know, that, that decision to have him at nine. But, and I think 24-7 had him at five. I mean, guys, what CJ's ranking aside, which I completely disagree with, I mean, it's not like he's the, the tallest short person here. I mean, this is 20 of the best quarterbacks in the country. Remember, it, Number between five and nine in the top, you know, these 20 quarterbacks at this kind of camp, pretty darn good, Darren. Um, he had a really strong showing. His pro day was outstanding, uh, which folks on YouTube, um, you know, we're watching, a, I believe, a little bit out of this here, uh, or this just might be some day one rough on air. But regardless, strong showing all around for CJ Carr there. You know, if you want to you know, get all in your feelings about a few spots and some meaningless ranking. I, I you know, truly don't think it's that important, but yeah, you know, overall you get a good week. Yeah. You know, I guess one of the criticisms about him coming out of the week was, um, you know, sometimes he can get, you know, flustered when things aren't, you know, perfect. Like if he doesn't have that clean pocket, he, things get a little uncomfortable, you know, that whole struggle at times. 
uh, you know, it, it is what it is. It's something that he'll, he'll work on, he'll get practice on. The kid is an elite talent overall. That's not changing. Um, but, yeah, CJ Carr, an Elite 11 um, finalist and was named to the Elite 11. So congrats to Notre Dame's quarterback. Now to the defensive side of the football. One of the premier talents coming out of Chicago is defensive lineman Justin Scott. We have followed his progress through your words and, of course, verbally here on the program and also written at blueandgold.com. So I guess he visited Miami over the weekend. Any news come out of that? Yeah, he spoke to uh, Chad Simmons at on three and said that Miami's at the top for him. Now, I've heard that. I believe it was that exact phrase he said. I, I will check. But he did. I don't think he said leader. I think it was at the top. Yeah, it was, it was at the top. So I've heard that many times. But in, in my follow-up, whenever recruit tells me that as well, like at the top of other schools or like they're the number one school, <laughs> I didn't get that clarification. Um, but, you know, it's the top five of Miami, Michigan, Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Georgia. He's taking officials to Georgia, Michigan, and Miami and heads to Ohio State this weekend. The, the most interesting thing about this interview with on three that Scott did was saying that he might just commit this summer. Now, he hasn't been to Notre Dame since March, I believe it was. Yeah. And he's only been on campus three times. And he's not taking an official to Notre Dame this summer. Notre Dame wants him on campus for their house staking. Get him on campus last. But if he commits this summer, that's probably not good for Notre Dame unless Scott visits at the end of July, which is, of course, still summer. And I'm told Notre Dame is working on it. I asked Scott myself and got a response from him. He said he hasn't you know, completely locked that in yet. Uh, but there is a potential that Notre Dame gets the five-star talent from Chicago St. Ignatius on campus in July. So if he does commit this summer and he makes it to Notre Dame and, and that visit goes really well and then commits after that, then it could be pretty good news. But I think more likely than not, if he commits this summer, that's not good for Notre Dame. The Irish staff is playing the long game here. Have them stretch this into the fall. Take the official for the Ohio State game. Get, get them that last OV and uh, – you know, lock them up later in the process. I think it's, uh, you know, whether it's a wise decision or not it is up for debate. It's, it, it is a little bit risky to say, hey, we won't have you on campus for the summer, but we're going to get you for the Ohio State game for that OV. Um, and, and we'll see where it goes from there, Darren. Um, I don't know. I still like Notre Dame here. I'm rolling with the Notre Dame sources, but I, I can't say I have very much confidence at all. I mean, I don't think anyone can have a whole lot of confidence at all. So that's one way to say Miami visit went really well. The Hurricanes considered the leader by some, maybe even most at this point. But Notre Dame playing the long game. But the wheels could come off the wagon here if he commits in the summer and he's not able to get back to Notre Dame. Mike, I know this is a little apples and oranges, but when you think back to last year, you had this enormous talent and Keon Keeley committed then decommitted, and then it was a scramble to, to find pieces to replace him. Notre Dame's in really good shape with their defensive line recruiting in this class. So if they get Scott, it's just obviously an enormous opportunity for the program. But it's not like they're waiting or other guys are waiting in the wings right. for him to make a decision. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's four defensive line commits already. And 
um, and Bryce Young, Logan Thomas, Cole Mullen, Sean Cevillano, those four build a four-man front there too. Yep. Um, I mean, you have your true Viper in Logan Thomas. Um, you know, Sean Cevillano is your nose. Cole Mullins, you know, a Viper or a strong side end. Um, and then who's the fourth? Mullins, Young, Cevillano. Thomas. I guess there's not like a true defensive tackle, but that's not something Notre, Notre Dame wanted a true nose and then to surround them by, right. um, you know, some of these edge prospects, but th- they hit their mark of four. Scott and or Elijah rushing would be, you, know, you don't want to say cherry on top because those would be the best players in the class, but it, it is a luxury. Yeah. It'd just be a really darn good luxury. So yeah, you're, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head there. How can Irish fans read more about your inside scoops on Notre Dame football recruiting? You head to blueandgold.com. We're always having some good offers <laughs> on the site right now. I don't know if we do at this exact moment in time, but just, you know, stay locked into our, our, my Twitter account at Mike T. Singer or, you know, at BGI News for our site's Twitter account or just go to the website itself. Um, you can find all of our offers there. But, yeah, we're always posting about them. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's always a great time to sign up at bloomgold.com, even in the dog days of summer for you Notre Dame fans. If you want your fighting Irish itch, you go to the loose emoji message board, and there's always good discussion there as well as uh, recruiting information and updates. So, yeah, head over to bloomgold.com. Mike, thank you so much for the visit. Always great information. We'll talk to you next week. All right. Thank you, sir. That's Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated. Check out his work at blueandgold.com. I'm Darren Pritchett. More Budweiser's weekday sports beat is coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.